Welcome to Crossfade, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. I'm your host, Matt Helgeson, joined by Jason Daphnis. What's up, Jason? Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis, and I'm here to say that I like to crossfade <laughs> in a major way, Matt. How are you? <laughs> there should really be like a a deep, like long read dive into the origin of like, and I'm here to say. Um, <laughs> I wonder the, if the am is. I here to say, like, <laughs> I believe it was, I believe there, my memory is that there was a uh, Flintstone cereal commercial in which um, okay. Fred and Barney were rapping. That was the, the origin of the, and I'm here to say. But okay. uh, it's it's such a classic. It's just, maybe you know like maybe Crossfade season three is all about that. We do a deep dive, <laughs> just a deep dive on on the Flintstone rap <laughs> career. Um, but yeah, we are we are here to say we're uh, we're talking about uh, a show that I don't know. This came to me the other day. I was listening to some stuff on Spotify, and I kind of wanted to do a sort of a tribute examination of the show Yo MTV Raps. Uh, show aired from 1988 to 1995 kind of incorporating the sort of the end of the golden era through like the nineties. Um, it was created, uh, by two men, uh, Jonathan Demi, uh, who was kind of a director. Oh, was, uh, oh, not, it was not Ted, Ted Demi. Yeah, Ted his Demi, nephew. His I had the same, I did the same thing. Okay, it's yeah, his yeah, nephew. Yeah. Jonathan is the director who did stop making sense. And sounds of the lambs. lambs. Yeah, uh, yeah. I got confused by the same thing. Yeah, that's right. I'm oh, sorry. I get them. Yeah, Ted. Did, yeah. Uh, and Ted did some like video stuff. And but I think he was kind of like a New York hipster kind of guy in some mm-hmm. ways. It was always my, my, uh, take on Ted. And then, uh, fab five, Freddie, um, he was the original host and hosted the weekend show throughout the entire, uh, run of the show. Fab Five was actually kind of a really interesting kind of downtown New York dude. Um, he dated back to the the original era of hip hop, like the late seventies. He was a graffiti writer. Um, I think he was maybe a little bit more media savvy than some, and was kind of one of the first guys to, um, I guess, a little bit like Basquiat in that way, where he was the guy that was able to kind of move in different worlds of like hip hop and. The, the gallery scene, which was in the early, early 80s, was, you know, kind of featuring graffiti art, hip hop, you know, as a, as a new musical kind of revolution at that time, and some crossover with punk and new wave. He's actually mentioned in uh, the Blondie song Rapture, where Debbie Harry raps. Um, but yeah, so, te- you know, he uh, Fab Five had been around for a while. Uh, the show was, you know, started on MTV. I, did, I actually didn't know it was originally a French show called Just Yo!, Really? On MTV France, which according to Wikipedia, I didn't know that. Um, so it came on. Um, and I'm really going to be curious a, in a number of ways, Jason, just because like, I think, I think the late eighties era of hip hop is kind of, you know, disappearing in a lot of ways. I, you know, the, the nineties stuff is still very, you know, the chronic and Wu Tang and tribe and all that kind of stuff is still, I think very much in the popular imagination, but, uh, some of the er- a little earlier period, like the 86, 87, 88, 89 kind of eras, is things fading out a bit. Mm. And um, I'll be curious on your take on the music. And number two, um, I was kind of just thinking of my own experience with the show. It was like, I don't think people understand what a cultural, you know, phenomenon this was. You know, yeah. it, it, somebody like you, you know, you've grown up and, and basically rap by and large has been the dominant musical form completely normalized. Yeah. Beyond. You know, commercially, you know, going back to the nineties, you know, and you know, stuff like Dr. Dre, the chronic was huge. And, you know, obviously to now with, you know, you know, Drake or somebody in his kind of extended cultural dominance, like none of these people 
would have had that without yo mtv raps i mean mtv did not play a lot of black music originally mm-hmm. um it played so- run dmc and you know kind of broke down the barrier to where like it broke into the pop charts with you know walk this way and king of rock and some of that stuff but it was in the beastie boys but it was still you know it was rare to hear rap on the radio. It was rare to hear see rap on MTV when this show launched, especially the stuff that was really kind of happening, like, you know, on the street level, you know, in, in cities mm-hmm. like New York and LA. Um, yeah. It, so you, you linked me to a, um, a short documentary. It's like 45 minutes. I guess it ran sometime in probably the late aughts on MTV about like the origin and sort of the heyday and the maybe not downfall, but the, the, the retiring of the UMTV raps brand. And that's one of the things that they focused on most was like, not only was it a way to make MTV a lot less homogenous of like just a lot of white performers, maybe you'd get some Lionel Richie they were pointing out, maybe you'd get like a a Prince or an MJ song once in a while. Uh, But by and large, it was like white artists, white music, white producers. And in the case of the MTV raps, it was the first time that they were like, as this documentary says, black people behind and in front of the camera, like presenting, producing you uh, sort of being the focus and topic of the show. And that was really, I guess, really important for MTV at the time. Again, like totally yeah. different world than what I grew up with. Even when I was allowed to watch MTV, it was, there was predominantly like uh, R&B, uh, soul, hip hop and rap. It was you yeah. know, very rarely just straight up rock that I was used to listening to in the car, you know? So yeah. that's, that's my frame of reference on it is it is really interesting to see that this show was not only like great and, and really impressive and important for uh, uh, promoting rap music, uh, both you know at home and abroad but that it was like a work of black art essentially like even though the one of the creators the producer um ted demi is he was a white guy uh like like the production of it and the like the people it was for and sort of the 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 walls of color that they were breaking down i think they talk about that specifically in this documentary yeah. was really important uh, in its in its genesis and like what made it so popular yeah and then you know even and i, I want to go back to fab five freddy who i think really was a vision for the show you know and, and like i said you know i some of his resume, like he dated back to the days of Grandmaster Flash and like, hmm. you know, Furious Five and, you know, uh, Cold Crush Brothers and all that stuff. So he he was really there since the beginning. And then they brought on for the daily show that they eventually started. Um, it was a shorter show that aired after school uh, with they got uh, Ed Lover, who I think had been doing some radio in New York. Uh, and then Dr. Dre, the other Dr. Dre. Um, Wait, who actually am I learning about? There are two Dr. Dre's. Yeah, there was Dr. Dre um, from the East Coast, from New York. He was uh, the host of the the week the weekday MTV Raps with Ed Lover. Uh, he had been involved in a lot of the early early Def Jam stuff. He was in a band called uh, a group called Original Concept. They had an album called From the Basement of Cooley High that was pretty good. Um, and then they brought on T Money as a third host after a while, and he was part of Original Concept. So he had been kind of dating back to the early like Rick Rubin, LL Cool J kind of Def Jam days. But yeah, it was always kind of weird. Like he he had just selected that name, you know, you kind of have to remember too. It's like, you know, before the internet, you know, things could develop in, in New York and yeah. develop in LA sort of, you know, uh, symmetrically without them knowing about each other, that so, happens, you know, yeah, until so they, uh, now, yeah. you know, until they were both famous and, you know, Dr. Dre, the host was playing Dr. Dre, you know, from NWA's music, um, which we'll actually hear later on. But, um, all right, well, let's. We should probably play some music here. I, this is actually, you know, I think one of the great songs of this era. Eric B. and Rakim follow the leader. I would say Rakim is, I don't know, universally anymore, but, you know, I think for a long time has been considered maybe the greatest rapper of all time, the most impactful rapper of all time. Um, 
you know, he really kind of, when you listen to his cadences and how like syncopated and more complex they are, you got to kind of think of that in contrast to the kind of like, and I'm here to say kind of rap, you know, or the, the run DMC where everything's really four on the bar, you know, like the yeah. king of rock is none higher sucker MC, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Where he's kind of ducking in and out of the beat. Um, and this, just this track is super eerie. I remember like this song, when I first heard it, I was just like, this is the coolest music I've ever heard. Um, it was so like kind of ominous and, and, and just like his, his kind of deadpan killer kind of voice. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'll be curious what you think. Let's sure. play it. Rock him That's the moment where this song becomes more than what I thought it was going to be. Is that like oh, that kind noir, of cor- the creepy part? Yeah. Solo, get in the flow, and you can picture like a photo. Music makes mellow, maintains to make melodies for MCs, motivates to break some everlasting. I can go on for days and days with rhyme displays that engrave deepest X rays. I can take a phrase that's rarely heard. Yeah, and Eric Rakim always had this he has very kind of almost spooky quality to it. Um, so I, I guess I'm just curious because you know this is definitely an earlier form of rap. You know, what what are your take on some of this stuff? I like to center on this song. I really like how he keeps coming back to the idea of like. I follow the leader. It's obviously like a sort of peacocking. Like I'm, I'm sort of moving music, moving the form, moving my own career forward. But he also keeps coming back to this idea of like literally being eternal in this song. I think it's in the second verse. I'm probably talking right over it. Uh, but he says, um, "Let's see, geez, he says so much in this song. The lyric sheet is gigantic. Uh, this is a lifetime mission, vision of prison. All right, listen. In this journey, you're the journal. I'm the journalist. Am I eternal or an eternalist?" <laughs> And earlier yeah, on, he's, he's, he's like talking about uh, you know traveling at magnificent magnificent speeds around the universe. Um, uh, uh, Self esteem make me super superb and supreme. I don't know. It's like it's tying himself and the like what he's doing, literally just spitting at the mic into this like larger concept of I'm going to be remembered for this thing, and I think that sort of does tie in like thematically with the sound we're hearing that sort of creepy boodaloo to you, which reminds me of the LA noir. Like you got something wrong. Guess you remember that, <laughs> yes, you remember totally. that stupid shit. Um, but like it, 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 I guess the song works for me thematically and lyrically, but I'm glad you asked like how it's actually going, how, how smooth it is or isn't because this is the era. Unfortunately, this is the era of rap and hip hop that connects with me probably the least by and large, because it is like, I like, I really like this. Like, again, I've never been much of a lyrics person. So rap is sort of maybe an uphill thing for me to get a whole lot out of. But when I'm listening, I think for a minute and a half, I really enjoy this because it's got a great flow. I like, I can follow along with the instrumentals. There's some great samples and some great beats. And then it keeps going for like another four and a half minutes usually. (laughs) And it's like, gee, there's not a whole lot of variety or variation here. If I were paying attention to the lyrics, like somebody who listens to rap does and should, I would be getting a lot more out of it, but it's, you know, it's a learning process for me. And this was a like these, what, 13 songs you selected? A really mm-hmm. good roadmap for that, I think. And like indicative of how MTV Raps pulled a lot of that really important stuff for understanding the music of the day and how it was changing into the mainstream. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, uh, uh, 
Yeah, I was just curious how it hit you. I, I'm not surprised in, in some of that, maybe. Um, it is minimal, but I kind of like the minimalism because I felt like it was really, like, kind of a revolutionary thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and we can go, actually, the next one's a pretty good example of, I think, what's, like, in a classic, like, you know, 80s rap kind of minimalism. That's uh, My Philosophy by Boogie Down Productions, KRS-One. Um, and this was a huge, I tried to kind of structure this. I, I didn't want to get, you know, Eric B and Rakim are legends. BDP is legends. Um, some of these other artists are not as well known, but I kind of wanted to like, I feel like the farther away you get in time. And I think you'll probably experience this as you get, you know, farther away from certain scenes or whatever that you were into in the past. It's like certain things get kind of codified is like the, what the narrative was. And mm-hmm. it'll, it'll be based about like, you know, there was, you know, NWA and public enemy and Eric B and Rakim yeah. and like, you know, the, the sort of t- in, in Tribe Called Quest or whatever, you kind of, free- I, I wanted to structure this, what I thought like would be a typical like episode, you know, mm. so it wasn't all these people that are so like regarded as like legends anymore. You know, some are kind of forgotten. Um, there's some interesting stories behind them, but uh, BDP obviously was a, a huge deal. Um, and, you know, even today, Karis one's still putting out music. He did the, he did the, the big verses with big daddy Kane last year. Um, but let's play. This is my philosophy. Um, and I think this would sort of also stand in a little bit. I wanted to kind of have things, um, represent certain aspects of the scene. I, I would mm-hmm. say that this was sort of, you know, what they were calling Afrocentric, um, okay. more political, you know, more, um, I guess conscious rap, they called it as well. You know, there was definitely a sort of a black power, um, theme that, you know, in public enemy and BDP was definitely one of those, you know, his second album, he poses out the window with an Uzi, like the, the famous Malcolm X picture. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway, I, and this, this is a, a, a favorite of mine and I love this beat. All right. My philosophy by Boogie Down Productions. So you're a philosopher. Yes. 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 I think very deeply. I think very deeply. I think very deeply. I think I think I think very deeply. In about four seconds, a teacher will begin to speak. I think very deeply. Let us begin. What, where, why, or when? We'll all be explained like instructions to a game. See, I'm not insane. In fact, I'm kind of rash. Yeah, so this, I, to me, this is just a classic. Like, this got that kind of clattering echoey drum beat and then just sort of like a little snatch of like kind of haunting sax that kind of drifts through the track but i mean to your point it is it is very minimal music you know and and for for whatever reason it just i don't know it just it struck me so different you know what i mean like at the time that it it was like was was what is this music you know what i mean is this music or you know it was not like nothing i uh perceived before was rap and hip-hop prior to this era the you know mid-late 80s was it more like musically um, varietal, I guess, more musically, maybe not experimental. That's the wrong word because it sounds like I'm denigrating um, any of your styles. But like, was it more, you know, structured around uh, music movements rather than because this sounds like it's music made to be listened to to listen to the lyrics, which I respect. Mm-hmm. It's it's a style and it's, you know, it's not that I'm hearing something. It's, it's that I'm not hearing something that everybody else seems to hear. So, again, I'm not going to punch down. But I'm curious about when you say it seems so new and it seems so different. Is it because what had come before in this genre or in this burgeoning genre was more musically focused and more like less like minimal in that respect? Yeah. Well, so the weird thing about early hip hop, the 70s stuff and maybe the very early 80s is a lot of it, you know, it wasn't really captured on 
record like it it really was you know what i mean hmm. like in in the parks i think they were doing a lot of like early kind of looping via turntables and stuff um there is a song called the great adventures of grandmaster flash that's a an actual dj cutting song from that era Ooh. um but a lot of times they would go in the studio with like basically disco bands you know what i mean like um like the Sugar Hill Gang, right? You know, that, uh-huh. that was basically just like a disco band playing like a chic riff kind of halfway ripped off. Um, and there was like the the Sugar Hill Band with like, how uh, was it, Larry? Uh, I can't remember. But yeah, so they would kind of go in with live bands. So it really wasn't like what they were doing live where they were actually like rapping more like this, I think, over like a repeated drum beat, like Funky Drummer or like Apache by, you know, Incredible Bongo Band, things mm-hmm. like that. Um so I think the the big sea change was the song "Sucker MCs" by Run DMC, which this is definitely in the in the vein of that. And that was just a straight up drum machine beat, like nothing mm. else. And it was Run DMC like just rapping over a drum machine beat with like completely bare. And it was kind of the first time I think that like something that actually sounded approximating like what people were doing live was like put on record. Mm. Um, and there's some other things probably before that, but um, yeah. So it just it was sort of like that era is kind of lost in a certain sense, you know. Because, like, with Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, like, I mean, you probably know, like, The Message or, like, White Lines. I don't know if you know the songs. Anyway. Maybe not by name. Yeah, you'd recognize The Message beat. Sure, sure. sure. Um, but that was, like, played by live instrument guys that were, like, you know, dudes from, like, funk bands and, and Ooh, disco cool. bands of the 70s, you know? Um, yeah. So this was more, I think, just th- this kind of skeletal thing was more similar to what it would, what had been going on for a while, but it was just kind of making its way under record at that okay. time. Yeah. Because like it, 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 again, it mirrors, I think in a really interesting way, you were talking about how this is more politically minded, more conscious ish. Like this song, again, I'm talking over uh, the libretto, so to speak right now, but like it, it's kind of like just an exegesis of his thoughts on the music industry and his contemporaries on like the world around him, the business of it. He talks about commercialized lyrics uh, he talks in no uncertain terms about how some of the music of the time ran ran the risk of like reinforcing his, his stereotypes of black Americans. Um, like in the second verse, he says, uh, when I hear whack rhymes, I get fed up. And it's like, this isn't like metaphorical lyricism. He's just talking mm-hmm. about things that like his own philosophy toward the work that he does, which I think is really interesting. I yeah. didn't expect that <laughs> of the music of the time, I guess. Yeah. Karis is funny. I mean, I love Karis. He's kind of a whatever rock on tour is that uh-huh, that's the uh-huh. word uh he's kind of funny because he's he, like in this era he's starting to get very like preachy and, and like he gets more so that way um but it's also funny because literally he on the first bdpl criminal minded is is definitely one of the founding texts of like gangster rap and huh. that had songs like nine millimeter go bang stuff like that so it was kind of he kind of like helped invent gangster rap and then he spent a lot of time like kind of denouncing that. Um, <laughs> that, that makes it way funnier, actually. But you know, KRS was kind of a you know he's he's a uh, he's a great character. He's he's super you know smart guy and, and super great rapper. But he's a little bit of an unreliable narrator sometimes. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, because if you heard like a song like Nine Millimeter Go Bang, you'd be like, oh wow, this guy's like really you know uh, a criminal. And I think he was you know he was homeless for a while. I know in the Bronx you know mm-hmm. prior to his rap career, so he was probably scuffling it out. Sure. Um, but yeah, we can, uh, let's move on to the next one here. What's next sure. on our agenda? We got uh, Posse on Broadway. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sir Mix-a-Lot pre, 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 uh, Way maybe pre. Back. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'll, I'll start it out and uh, we can talk. <laughs> see this one. I, I fucking love this song, but I can totally see. I don't know. I'm just curious. Like this, this I wanted to put on there cause this is sort of like more of the early West coast sound. Uh-huh. Um, he was from Seattle, but this is pretty, you know, Bay area influenced. I think, uh, that's the classic like 808 Roland 808 drum machine. I know. Like 
I was proud of myself that even I could pick up on that, like, oh, this sounds like a West Coast 808 beat. Yeah. <laughs> even though I'm not as familiar with the genre. There's that, like, tuned, like, bass drum on an 808 that's just yeah. very distinct to that low kind of, and it, I think it is tuned to some note. And then the kind of, like, those really tinny, like, hi-hats. It just the, It's the hi-hats that always get me about the 808. It's like, that's just classic. It feels like, like I'm listening oh, and, to somebody's and, yeah. Nokia phone go off. And that little do-do-do, that little fake conga noise. Beep, beep, beep. Yeah. That's so, it's so fake, but it sounds, yeah, it's, I think the, the 808 was, like, a happy accident. It just these kind of like objectively terrible drum sounds all sounded <laughs> amazing. Um, they're unrealistic drum sounds, I guess. I really like, and this is maybe the second or third song I've ever heard by Sir Mix a lot, but, uh, <laughs> but like, I like his, his like storytelling flow is like weirdly stilted. It's like that non-experimental. It's pretty straightforward. You can kind of predict the emphasis of every line, but I still like it so much. Cause it's almost like he's, yeah, like it's he's an, hamming it's, it up a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a narrative, you know. It's like uh, you know the Odyssey for like driving around <laughs> Seattle in a limousine. Um, yeah, I did. Mixlot just always he had a very weird, like kind of quirky production style, quirky flow. Um, I was a really big fan of this album's called Swass, uh, which is a word I think he just made up. That he, ma- like, he made cool. up. I, I had to know. Wikipedia says that he made it up, and then later he like reversed it into a neologism, standing for some wild ass silly shit. <laughs> <laughs> pretty funny <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah Mixlot was kind of a, a great you know kind of just character and kind of eccentric uh you know he was also coming out you know like gold <laughs> <laughs> i also like gold chains were such a big deal i love it um did you enter your raps have a way of putting i mean obviously like the the hosts of the show um fab five freddy uh dre uh, Ed, Ed Lover like in this documentary I watched and some of the clips that I managed to get to um, they are like pretty like present uh, presenters mm-hmm. they're not like just like kindly shepherding you from one music video to another they're you know they've got bits they've got props they've got a lot of engaging was UMTV Raps like a place where characters was it like what is it a TBS characters wel- welcome or whatever it was it wasn't the place where like acts like this that did have like a, a recognizable bit that were like yeah. still still good at what they did, but could sort of flourish because of the video medium. Yeah, I think so, definitely. And in Fab Five, his show is a little bigger budget, so he would actually go to go places. You know, he mm-hmm. might like go to Seattle or there's a famous episode with him and NWA are like cruising around South Central and Compton in like a flatbed truck, you know? Oh, wow. Um so he would kind of go to these places and give you sort of a local thing. The other thing with Muffler's Dragon. <laughs> Good luck. Wait, they go to Taco Bell, but it's closed. Yeah, I know. See, this is like the Odyssey. He has like challenges, you know what I mean? Like Taco Bell was closed. The siren song of the local and Taco Bell. All the freaks are hungry, so you got to go to Dick's. Which I, Dick's is a hamburger stand in Seattle that I was absolutely, I actually got to go by once when I was on a trip for work, so I was very happy about that. Did it, was it um, good? We didn't stop. We'd already <sighs> ate by the time we were going to a bar. Um, but I saw it in a... The other thing to remember about Mixlot too is like Seattle, like so. This is like you know pre grunge. Um, oh yeah, I didn't think you know, about that. Like the Pacific Northwest was like, you know, a rapper from Seattle might as well have been from like Des Moines Topeka. or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so the, I was like, the first time I ever really thought about Seattle. I think was <laughs> Sir Mixlot, but really, yeah, yeah. See, but he's a he's chivalrous. 
And then there's Larry the White Guy, the real estate investor, who makes a lot of money in the song. Yeah, I love the song. This is mostly just going to be me, like, just say, like, I love the song. Hey, I mean, <laughs> that's the show, man. <laughs> All right, I, let, I let's, say, let's keep well, yeah, going. The, the next one is not one that uh, that captivated me with, with a whole lot of lyrical. I guess I just couldn't get over some of the closing lines that, that um, let's see. Uh, Special Ed? Special Ed has in this, in this song. Tw- right toward, toward the end is, is where I kept getting caught up we we don't have to dive no, into it right get, away but uh, uh this one i just like this is sort of like one of the ones i was talking about where it's like you know these were big things at the time they're sort of gone to history in certain respects mm-hmm. but and also to me like this is if you talk about like say the 90s like boom bap style like dj premier stuff like that um to me this is like a very proto like kind of boom bap beat um mm-hmm. i love this just that simple dude we will hear it anyway but yeah uh well here is i got it made by special ed You know, it's like literal yeah. boom bap, and it, like to its credit, it is a song that, among these others, does have more I'm your idol, the something more drawing me in with the with the actual instrumentals. Yeah, I love this beat so much, and just like to you know, like that's 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 what's fascinating to me is like they were able to do so much with so little. You know, it's just a drum beat and like two little hits. You know, I got it made. It's good. It's got a latitude. I was. I don't know if we're going to make it to the end of the song, but but, but by, by the end, by the end, he says, "I'm kind of spoiled because everything I want got made, or, or everything I want I got made. I wanted gear, got everything from cotton to suede. I wanted lead. I didn't beg. I just got laid. My hair was grown too long, so I got me a fade." And when my dishes got dirty, I got cascaded. <laughs> See, that, I think he kind of, to me, it's so I would argue that he's just taking like the kind of braggadocious, like brag about your money stuff to like this almost surrealist, like absurd <laughs> kind of Ridiculous. I got cascade. Well, yeah. And also like, you know, special ed is like, he's like 19. He's probably living in like some really? shitty apartment. You know, he doesn't, you know, at this point when he made his song, he has like zero money, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of this like fantasy thing to me. Um <laughs> Oh, yeah, 74 Honda scooters. 74 Honda scooters. I mean, 73 is not enough. <laughs> I got here we go. Got 20, that's plenty, yet I still want more. Kind of find a Honda scooters, got 74. I got the riches. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I see what you're saying, and it is, like, ridiculous. I think, he, you know, it's sort of purposely ridiculous, obviously. Or, like, what is his waiter made potato alligator souffle? It's another great line. <laughs> Um, so I, I just always thought this one always just cracked me up because the boasting was just <laughs> so absurdly like over the top. Yeah. Um, and the beat to me is just like I, the beat is one of the great beats to me. This, this beat. I make fresh rhymes daily. You burn me? Really? Um, but yeah. So you know this is special ed. This was a this was a hit. But I, I wanted to kind of like include some of the stuff like Posse on Broadway, and I got it made because it wasn't all just people listening to like. You know the people that are remembered as like the huge artists of that era. Mm-hmm. Um, the next artist actually is a, a, a real favorite of mine. EPMD. Um, they are from Long Island. Okay. Um, these guys, I would I would argue, are, are kind of like really um, influential and probably not regarded as such um, as much as they should. They were from New York, but um, I think they're kind of they're one of the first New York bands that kind of embraced kind of like a, a almost like proto like. Dr. Dre kind of like heavy funk, 
Like mm. they're, they're sampling, um, I think this is like Zap and Roger and, um, cool and the gang uh, on this. Um, so I, they're, they're slower paced. They also have very like, especially, uh, Eric Sermon has a very like soft voice and isn't like, you know, you can tell with all this stuff, it's very strictly on beat, right? You know, it's like, like rat a tat tat kind of cadence, you know, whereas Eric Sermon had kind of a lisp and like he had sort of a softer delivery that I think now, you know, rappers are much more, um, Modern rap is just they they duck in and out of the beat a lot more. Yeah, to, yeah. To the point where they kind of stretch a little bit, like like they're off out of the pocket and in back in the pocket. Yeah. Um, and have a different relationship to that. Um, which is interesting to me. It's it's interesting how it's all developed. Um, and I think Eric Sermon in a way was kind of one of the first guys where he's like he's on beat, but he's not super on beat, and he has kind of a soft kind of mush mouth voice. Um, which I mean now I guess mumble rap is what you know the pejorative was, but um. And and they do some interesting things production wise, which I, I really appreciate. So let's let's listen to this. You got the chill. Like that's more more West Coast feel to me, you know. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, there's Oh gee. I'm trying to remember which Delta Funky Homo sapiens song it is. It might be the opening track from I Wish My Brother George was here. That that baseline always reminds me of. It might be the same sample. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Hmm. Then go take a nap. That's my favorite <laughs> all time. <laughs> well, I love the delivery quiet, on that so much. Well, like, MC rap, but if you're tired, then go take a nap. That's just good life advice, too. Yeah. Man, my life got way better when I started taking naps. I didn't realize well, I needed it when I was in college. I really needed it when I was in college. It's the best. One time, one thing I like to do on the ends of the lines, they put this like hyper, like, like slapback echo kind of effect on stuff. I wonder if they're not going to do it. Should I pull it back? No, they do it all the time. I didn't do it. But um, one thing that I did, you know, <laughs> listening to this stuff, and I'm, I'm wondering for you, is like... Make them sound deaf to Damn it, now they're not doing it. We had to come off in case of a diss. Don't worry about the thing. Cause we can see what's happening to the party. There we go. Ooh. Please scream and shout while the brothers I get. Take total control of your body and soul. Pack a nine in my pants when it's time to roll. I'm the P double E M D E E. One thing I was curious is like, and I guess it was a newer, you know, art form, but there is a lot of rapping at this at this juncture in history about like how good they are at rapping yeah yeah yeah. you know what i mean i was hoping (laughs) to pick your brain about that because i know like as a new form of art as like an expression of the you know power and status and stuff like it was pretty a pretty big topic like what do you rap about if not yourself right but is that is that a thing that's kind of gone from rap or like at least the most popular versions of things it feels like i think so yeah Maybe like Eminem to me is the last like guy that really got huge kind of based on, you know, 
a real skills thing, you know what I mean? Uh, but even he had the kind of slim shady and kind of storytelling persona. I'm so swift and that's a natural fact. I'm like Zorro. I love him. Oh my god. Uh, uh, so I think it's an outgrowth back then of sort of like you know what I was talking about the origins of rap, where it was you know it wasn't on record, it was live, and you know they used to have big battles of different rap crews of these live shows where you'd have sort of like. I mean, it really dates back to Jamaica, where they had the like Cool Herc, uh, the kind of the original hip hop DJ was from Jamaica, and they used to have traveling sound systems where they'd set up and have a sound clash, and two different like DJs with their big PAs would like battle each other, like spinning records, oh. and then they started to like you know have MCs come on and like um, you know rap over stuff. So I think it was just more of a competitive thing, you know what I mean? Back then, it was sort of like you got known by battling and, and sort of you know bragging about how good you were and stuff. Yeah, and I think that persisted through you know maybe this year, and it probably starts to die out somewhat. You know, a few years after this, or maybe by even by the time the show ends in '95. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I think it was an outgrowth of like how it had originally been in like you know the parks and like rec rooms at like projects in the Bronx and things like that. Yeah, but it is there's a lot of you know, braggadocio is definitely the order of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. Here's the DOC. The DOC I wanted to include. He's sort of a tragic, yeah, kind of a tragic figure um, in some ways. So he, uh, this was his uh, album. No one can do it better. He was part of kind of the extended like NWA crew. Uh, this is all produced by Dr. Dre. I think the production on this kind of shows even at an early stage how kind of innovative Dr. Dre was and how heavy this beat is. Uh, DOC, this album did very well for him. And I think he was regarded as kind of an up and coming guy at that time. He was in a, uh, a really bad car crash and his, I don't know if his voice box or his larynx was crushed. Hmm. Um, and so he was basically like, that kind of ended his career. Um, he put out one album in the chronic era, but it was like, his voice was kind of a husk, like very raspy and Hmm. he just couldn't really rap. But he stayed with Dre for a long time. And so he actually wrote tons of stuff in like the chronic era, Dre nineties era. Dre is like a ghostwriter. Hmm. So he actually, uh, he's definitely put in work on songs like you've known. Right. And this was his, you know, his kind of breakout album. And then sadly he just never really was able to continue his career because of the accident and his, uh, his voice. But, um, I really just like this. This is a really, I think the beat, like the thing about Dre is I think he was always a good engineer. Like this sounds really big and kind of polished in a way that some of this stuff sounds a little bit more rickety. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got like sort of a Jamaican, some of the, like Jamaican kind of cadences in it, like in kind his rapping. Like a, a dub type thing. Yeah. And even like, his, you know, a dance hall, like, you know, reggae, like some of his, his vocal stuff. Um, but anyway, I, I just, this is just a fun song to me. And like, it kind of shows, you know, Dre early on. All right. Here's It's Funky Enough by the DOC. Y'all ready for this? When did you say this is from? What year? Let's see. It's probably 89. Wow. Yeah, the production sounds way newer than that. The delivery is still very, like, 80s flow, but it's much cleaner than I would have expected. Yeah, I think that was always Dre had a knack for that. But yeah, it's not a million miles away from what he was going to do with The Chronic a few years later. 
Yeah, yeah. And this whole album, I think, is really uh, underrated. Like, kind of one of Dre's really great albums to me as a producer. I kind of like that this song is um, kind of, in many ways, all about the beat. Like, he, Mm -hmm. he starts by rapping about, like, how it's, like, make it sound smooth and later make a dub. Uh, let the rhythm take shake because it makes you like there's just a lot of talking up of like how good the song sounds honestly yeah, while yeah. he's rapping it I like <laughs> yeah. it yeah he was originally from Dallas um, Texas uh-huh. and he moved out with a group called Feel a Fresh Crew hmm. um, and they were on the first NWA and the Posse album that predates Straight Out of Compton and then he switched over to being a solo artist under Dre's kind of auspices I guess neat But yeah, just to me, this is just a great beat, and you know, this was a huge hit on UMTV Raps. Um, but yeah, I guess. Okay. Oh, it's getting funky. <laughs> it, it will be stuck in my head for the rest of the day. Don't yeah. worry. The next one I chose to kind of represent. You know, there's a lot of um, female rappers that I, you know, like. MC Light, Roxanne Shante, you know, Salt and Peppa, JJ Fad, um, you know, even, you know, MC Trouble, uh, a bunch of people. This one I think is kind of interesting because I, I, you know, I think in some cases, um, when a musical artist has like, I think this has happened to LL Cool J in some respects, Ice T in some respects. Um, this is Queen Latifah. Um, and I think like, you know, you probably, I mean, obviously you think of her as an actress, right? Like, yes. Yes. Bringing down that, the house was the first thing I ever saw her in that movie. Yeah, that, Steve like, uh, Martin know, did music at one point. Yeah. Um, but this album was actually a big deal. Um, she was part of the flavor unit out of New Jersey. That was, uh, the producer on this is DJ Mark, the 45 King. Um, there's some other people like naughty by nature was in flavor unit, like him Shabazz, um, Apache, a bunch of other people. Um, this one, I really chose a, I think it's a really good song. Moni Love, it was an English rapper, the other the other voice on this, and she mm-hmm. was part of the Native Tongues with like the early, like, you know, De La Soul, a Tribe Called Quest. Um, and this is really indicative of a certain style of production, I think, that was it was very hyper, a lot of kind of like James Brown type samples, a lot of like really catchy horn lines and kind of yeah. up tempo. Um, this song's called Ladies First. And, I, and this was a big deal, just it was also staking kind of you know, a claim that like, you know, women, you know, female rappers weren't going to like live in the shadow of, of men and stuff. And, uh, I think over time, just because she has been so successful with her, her, her career as an actress and a media personality that I think people kind of forget, like she could really rap. I mean, Queen Latifah was good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is just a really fun song of that era and, and indicative of a certain style of like New York production at that time. Mm-hmm. It is wicked. Those that don't know how to be pros get evicted. A woman could bear you, break you, take you. Now it's time to rhyme. Can you relate to a sister's open up to make you holler and scream? Hey, yo, let me take it from here, queen. Excuse me, but I think I'm about to to get into precisely what I am about to do. I'm conversating to the folks who have no whatsoever clue. So listen very carefully as I break it down for you. Merrily, merrily, merrily. I like the inversion of the line. I'm conversating to the folks that have no whatsoever clue just to make the rhyme work. Real clever. Yeah, I know, yeah. 
She Money Love was cool. Yeah, where'd she come? You said she's from across the pond. Was she? She's from England. I don't know how she ended up in America. But she was on some De La Soul stuff. She had an album called Down to Earth and a, a hit called Money in the Middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't know what happened to her. You know, like a lot of these people, they kind of came and went. I guess. Sure. But yeah, Queen Latifah was like, who would have known that? You know. <laughs> Yeah. 30 plus whatever years later she's you know 40 years yeah i don't know how yeah 30 plus years later she's you know she's still got that tv show right now and you know mm. yeah that's something that that documentary which i'll link in the show notes for everybody uh did get into is like because it was a very visual format yo mtv raps was pretty instrumental and you know they bring up uh will smith they bring up uh, ice yeah. cube and obviously queen latifah is like hey it helped launch hollywood careers in a way like if they hadn't gotten on, gotten on Yo MTV Raps when they did, weren't seen, weren't like personalities, in addition to being like prolific performers, probably wouldn't have had that much success that quickly, you know? No, no. Yeah, and I mean, it was, you know, it, I think MTV Raps absolutely made that possible, you know what I mean? Like, because then it was like, these were people you could see, you know what I mean? It wasn't just yeah. records, and it was like, you saw their personality dem- demonstrated, and you know... And there was a lot of like kind of hip hop, you know, movies of the early nineties that I think came out of that that gave a lot of those people, like, you know, Friday with Ice Cube or mm-hmm. things like that. What do you think of this one musically? I I really like this one. This one starts with a with a bang, that very funky, like almost beboppy sax. And it mm-hmm. just I mean, it does it, it's some of those like I know I just said that like the repetitiveness is kind of what turns me off from it. Sometimes they're good enough that it just does sustain itself. And they're like specifically their delivery of their lines is varied enough and like engaging enough that it doesn't just blend in. It sort of sticks out and gives it a cadence, gives it a structure for me to be like, yeah, the song is different than it was two minutes ago rather than just like repeated lines. Uh, I like this one a lot. It has that like that great funky sample is another that I'll keep coming back to just because it does. It hits. Because I'm a L-A-D-I-E. Contact and in fact, the style gets harder. Cooling on the scene with my European partner. Laying down track after track. Waiting for the climax. When I get there, that's when I tax the next man. Or the next woman, man. It doesn't make a difference. Keep the competition coming. All right. Next. Now we're going to move on to one of the most notorious bands that ever existed. Mm-hmm. But I picked this one because... You know, NWA, obviously, you know, there was a Straight Outta Compton movie, Legendary, you know, Ice Cube, Dr. Dre, Easy E, MC Ren. Um, but sincerely, for most people, their um, introduction to NWA was not, you know, Fuck the Police or Straight Outta Compton or Gangster Gangster or Dope Man. It was uh, Express Yourself, which is really out of character. It's, it's very fun, up-tempo kind of funky pop mm-hmm. feel to it. This is actually based on, um, and I know, Jason, you like a lot of that kind of, you know, R&B, you know, yeah. uh, the, this is based on a Charles Wright, Wright and the Watts 103rd Street Rhythm Band. Um, they were kind of a, a West Coast kind of R&B kind of funk band that is worth checking out. Yeah. Um, okay. But a lot of this track, like all the horn horns kind of stuff is from the 103rd Street Rhythm Band. Um, but this one is fun because it's kind of like, not. I mean, there's still, there's some grit to some of the lyrics, but um, it's kind of a little cuddlier version of NWA. And this is actually the song I remember hearing first. I, I think that, you know, as uncompromising as they were in some ways, like, I think they knew they had to have a song that could play on the radio mm. and be played on MTV, you know, and Savvy, that wasn't going to yeah. be, you know, fuck the police. I mean, Dre was always very smart about stuff. Um, but I, to me, this was just like, I love this song. I mean, when it first came out, the video was very cool. It was very West Coast and, you know, them more grittier kind of street scenes that, that you know, 
I was more used to the New York as being the dominant thing. Um, and this one's just a great, you know, a fun beat to me, just like joyful kind of beat. Mm -hmm. Here we go. Yo, man, it's a lot of brothers out there flaking and perpetrating, but scared to kick reality. Man, you've been doing all this dope producing. You ain't had a chance to show them what time it is. So what you want me to do? I'm expressing with my full capabilities. And now I'm living in correctional facilities. Because some don't agree with how I do this. I get straight and meditate like a Buddhist. I'm dropping flavor. My behavior is hereditary. But, but I just love that loop. It's so good. Yeah, and it's surprisingly like, I'm sure that they did some chopping and screwing to like, make it work you know balance the bass and all that kind of stuff but it's remarkably like the original sample just repeated you know yeah, like they, they yeah. didn't do a whole lot of editing to it and it works very 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 well yeah also this song, song like this i can hear it um sort of what led to nwa's demise with cube leaving is like you know Cube wrote this for Dre, for sure. I can just tell by the cadence. And, and Ice Cube wrote a lot of stuff for NWA and was never really compensated for his writing, which is another reason why the group kind of broke up. Mm. Um, but, uh... Dun -dun 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 -dun. I could see this exploding on, you know, MTV. I could see it exploding as, like, a single yeah. in and any it's a great it's music. a great video, too. It's a very cool video. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not really anything crazy. It's just, like them representing a sort of like eat the west coast world you know of okay. Compton that's and they just look like they're having fun in the video you know um you've brought up a lot of artists that i don't recognize special ed boogie down productions the doc etc this is one of the ones that i, I do recognize i do recognize mm -hmm. nwa i do recognize queen latifah and sir mix a lot um what artists did yo help like launch that i would recognize what are some of the others that like well really? i mean pretty much any you know, rapper that was, I mean, Public Enemy, certainly, like, mm. they did really great videos, um, which we did on the show prior, a long time ago with Alex Navarro. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it was so, you know, I'd say pretty much anybody, you know, really, um, Ice-T, um, you know, had, I mean, these people had followings, but just putting them on television just changed things, you know, and it just... It, it was like I truly don't believe hip hop is what it is today without this show. Like it's yeah. just not. And and I'm okay. <laughs> Especially this week, this is a very problematic example. And I'm not. You know, uh -oh. I, I'm done with him. I'm done with it. I'm just. All I want to say is like when when you see people like Jay Z and some of the business ventures he has. Mm. Um, when you see you know somebody like Kanye West who used to have. <gasps> Two hundred million billion dollar deal with Adidas, yeah. or Drake, who has a ton of stuff, or um, you know, just people like Queen Latifah, people like Ice T, Ice Cube that are have been media. Will Smith, you know, um, I don't think any of that that business aspect of like what hip hop is now and the global dominance like does not happen without this show mm. because it took it from being regional scenes and like local radio in cities like New York and the East Coast and it brought it into you know, dumb shit rubes like myself's living room, right? That yeah. were just living in the Midwest. And it was totally an alien world to me. Um, which I think that's, you know, ultimately, Jason, if this doesn't hit you like it hits me, that is probably the thing. Hmm. Because you've just grown up with hip hop being around. And, yeah. You know, it's like, it, it wasn't new. It had been around since, you know, the early 70s. So it wasn't new by any stretch, but it was new, I think, to like white America and mainstream oh, sure. America. 
So um, I think it's hard to underestimate the cultural impact the show had, really. And, it, you know, it's sad because I'm sure if I have a friend, he did not make the amount of money he should have made, you know. Mm. But um, I think, you know, when you see these kind of moguls that have kind of come out of hip-hop, you know, without this show, I don't think it would have been on the same footing that it is today. Um, all right. Next, let's – Okay. Next one. Oh, yeah. Next one. This is good. This I kind of chose to represent, like, kind of the, um, again, more kind of Afrocentric thing. Jungle Brothers are really, you know, the native tongues, you know, De La Soul, uh, Tribe Called Quest. Moni Love was part of Native Tongue. Um, but Jungle Brothers are really the, the origins of um, the native tongue. And mm-hmm. that crew kind of came out, and it was it was definitely – different than like you know either the kind of classic new york like braggadocious stuff or like the the kind of gangster stuff that was happening at the time starting to happen they came through and you know tribe is the most known of this um but they had sort of almost kind of a black hippie kind of thing um kind of bohemian sort of jazz influence sort of Mm -hmm. eccentric in ways you know um they like to tie back to a lot of like previous you know kind of i think stuff like gil scott heron and Hmm. last poets and things from the late sixties. Um, but it was just, and they, they wore like kind of baggy, colorful clothes. They, they wore like sort of African medallions and stuff instead of gold chains. And they just had a very different feel. Um, and, and, you know, tribe obviously was a very big band in this year as well, but you know, people kind of know them and the jungle brothers are really first. Um, they were also kind of influential. Their manager, Chris Lighty, uh, ended up who died under kind of, mysterious circumstances uh he uh he eventually formed violator uh management which was like managed everybody big in like the early 2000s he was known for uh signing 50 cent and making 50 cent kind of the international 50 cents another great example a guy that produces the show power and has like you know a vodka brand and all this stuff but um so yeah this is native tongues and this this is sort of like the more eccentric side of it i think um i always really dug this song that was really fun um and uh just it was it felt like a different take at that time that wasn't like as maybe as macho in some ways break down round and round upside down living my life underneath the ground never heard of and hardly seen a whole lot of talk about the red black and green so dirty you didn't want to deal with it so Right, no problem, cool. Sent to the earth to educate the fool. Waiting around for my shell to crack. After that, you can't hold me back. Looking out for the danger signs. Jungle Brothers bring forth for a change in time. Left, right, up, ass from which angle? Straight up the middle, reality's the riddle. Sending a message to the old and young. Confused about where I come from. What planet, what channel, what station? Africa from the Zulu Nation. Yeah, so that, um... Zulu Nation is kind of something worth talking about. Um, that's Africa Baby Bam uh, from the Jungle Brothers, named after Africa Mambata. Hmm. Um, and the Zulu Nation was sort of a activist kind of hip-hop group that, that came out of... Um, Africa Mambata had been... You know, like like the old, old New York gangs, like the Warriors kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they weren't that flamboyant, like with, like, you know, wearing makeup and like softball outfits or whatever but <laughs> it rocks you know, so much but though. like that kind of classic like cut off jeans jackets and like 70s kind of hair um mm-hmm. uh bambada was like 
the war chief, apparently, of the, the Black Spades, who were a big Bronx gang. And then he kind of tried to move people in a more positive, like, activist direction with the Zulu Nation, which I think still persists today. Um, but so this is all part of a kind of, like, you know, people that this year were trying to look back to, like, sort of the late 60s and stuff like the Black Panthers and the Civil Rights Movement and things like that and kind of um, combine that with sort of a party kind of thing. Okay. What do you think of this one? I like uh, I like I like the beat. I like the flow. Uh, it's like less obviously. It 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 does help to exp- that you explained Zulu Nation because it's less obviously like conscious rap e. Um, it's mm-hmm. sort of like more uplifting e. Like first you crawl before you walk. First you think before you talk. I found in life you wear a hard hat, protect your mind, and bad things will stay back. It's more of like an empowering thing than a like direct commentary. Um, which does explain a lot for me for this song. I, the one, the thing that keeps coming back to me is that it might even be an 808, but that like arpeggio that it does, I think it's after the chorus where it goes, that like synth line, that just, ah, that's so like satisfying on the ears. And that, that might be from planet rock by Africa Mambada actually. Oh, is that a sample? I think so. It might even date back to crack. It might be a craft work sample. Whoa. Kraftwerk was hugely influential in New York rap. Like, I'm, I guess I'm not surprised, but I never little, connected those dots. Yeah, there's sort of an electro kind of rap scene in the early 80s. Hmm. I'm pretty sure that's either it's either that or some early techno song. I can't remember. Well, that would make but, sense. But yeah, I guess you know that you you, you know you said uplifting like that. That was sort of the thing with De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest. It was like it was more of a fun thing, and no one was like really scowling and like looking mean at the camera and stuff right. and about like. I'm going to outwrap you in eight different ways, or I'm going to like punch you or whatever. It was sort yeah. of just like kind of, it had kind of a goofy, like hippie kind of vibe, but you see it called hippies. I think they kind of didn't like it, but hmm. you know, it was definitely felt like, you know, it was almost a little bit more like indie, indie rock kind of vibe, but like hmm. through hip hop, you know, like, I think you know, I maybe people saying. like, like HBCU kind of stuff. Um, hmm. But I don't know. They were a fun. They were a fun group. Um, yeah. and it's you know the fact that you pulled them for this is again indicative of the like kaleidoscope of different artists and genres and styles and stuff that could flourish on through through this program that we that we focused on here. Um, which like I want to let you intro to the next song, but I want to talk. I want to ask a question about like pursuant to that about the different styles and stuff that were that did flourish and how maybe yeah. like it mainstreamed some things. Um. But what have we got next? Yeah, this one is to me. I mean, this is one of the great hip hop songs of all time. Um, it's called "They Reminisce Over You" by Pete Rock and CL Smooth. Um, it's sort of a. It, it, this is actually really an amazing song. I think the Pete Rock's kind of style with a very jazz influence, like horn influence sound, was really influential at this time. Hmm. The lyrics are kind of a you know autobiographical thing through this kind of kaleidoscopic kind of view. Um, he talks about family members. He talks about, I think, his grandpa. I think he, and then it, the one of the verses is about uh, they reminisce over you stands for T R O Y. There was a guy named Trouble T Roy. Um, these guys mm-hmm. were all from Mount Vernon with Heavy D and the boys. And Trouble T Roy um, died very young, so this song I think was inspired by his death. And some of the stuff in the song is about his death. Um, but yeah, this one's you know kind of like an interesting stuff. Like you know, there's broken families and, and you know teen mothers and you know alcoholism and you know, but there's sort of a a real heart to this song, I think, and in, in the in the um, 
I mean, like the horn loop, I think is just a very iconic loop. Uh, so yeah, this one I think is, is a little more complex and I think starts to even point towards stuff that maybe like Kendrick Lamar does now, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, a little more personal. Uh, yeah, yeah. so I'm curious, I'll be curious on your take on this one. Cause I, this, this song to me is a real landmark, uh, when this came out and I think by 92. Okay. Here's they reminisce over you. How did this one strike you? It is again to know the story of like who it's about. Um, it, it does does unlock it a little bit because it's not. It's another song where it's like sort of describing, in some cases, not ideal conditions for living or growing up. You know, um, I really got beatings because my mom loved drama. She, she had me at eighteen. All, you know, all these conditions um, that you know. Again, what are you going to rap about except yourself? But uh, like it's it's as the song goes on, it doesn't get more like dire. It doesn't get, it doesn't really paint like a a terrible picture of incredible poverty or anything. It's more talking about the people around and like the personalities that exist. Uh, Uncle Mm -hmm. Sterling, who's always got the best, latest, best car. Um, you know, like, uh, like talking about how they met the, uh, yeah. T roll, like just a lot of different stuff. That's like more painting a scene than describing, iniquity and like how horrible mm-hmm. it was to grow up in this hard place you know i'm sure that it probably was but well yeah they, but not- you know i don't I, I don't know what their situation was but i mean uh and just like his grandpa here like kind of nodding out drunk but he's like you know you know putting him to bed and stuff is you know it's kind of it's like touching in ways you know um yeah yeah and that's this, what i mean is yeah and this is probably you know this had sort of a melancholy aspect to it i think mm-hmm. which was not something that was you know as we've heard, you know, rap was very using your face was very up you know, uh, immediate. And this, even like you know, the kind of the jazz samples and stuff. There's almost sort of a, a nostalgic kind of like sepia tone quality of this song. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's that's what I wanted to ask about. Was like, obviously, we've talked about some of the styles and some of the bigger characters that have come out of or did come out of this. You know, Yo MTV rap scene. The documentary I was watching was like, people were looking back at it and saying, if you wanted to be big, you had to be on that show. Um, you had to be on that program, but like it left me curious about what sort of styles in the wake of Yo MTV raps, what sort of styles did become mainstream? How did it like its position as tastemaker 
sort of influenced the styles that got big later in the 90s and then earlier in the 2000s? Like, what did it fast track as far as genre, you know, styles, tropes, topics? Or did it just, like, explode everything and make everything equally viable? Well, I think that, you know, certainly certain things like, you know, NWA and Public Enemy were kind of more shockingly aggressive than this. And this got big, but... The one thing I would, though, say about MTV Raps is that I feel like, you know, there was also a magazine called The Source that was very influential at that time. Um, and, you know, local radio DJs. I think the thing that I would laud MTV Raps for is that I think that in general, they were more reflecting what was already, like, resonating in, like, New York or LA at the time. You know what I mean? I don't, I never felt like they had an agenda to, like, push certain styles over the uh, over other styles it was more like if it was a hot song that people were picking up on new york they would like play the video you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so it it felt like more organically in tune with what was already happening and what you know stuff like rap pages or uh was it rap rap pages um and the source were already covering in in the magazine so it it never really felt like this it felt like it was part of the the community as -hmm. opposed to like this sort of top-down thing and I'm certainly, you know, certain artists probably got bigger than others due to like having really good videos or things like that. Right. But it wasn't but like, I don't, yeah, prescribing yeah. styles. And then, and then, you know, this, to me, I, I tried to put this playlist together to not be like, you know, just like I said, a, a list of like iconic rap yeah. songs, but I wanted to sort of like say like, this felt more to me, like if you tune into a show, this type of variety is sort of what they play, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't want it to be just, you know classic after classic even though a lot of these are um but yeah you know uh, well actually our next artist i think slick rick was very um a very big mtv raps guy uh okay and uh so slick Slick rick is to me one of the great eccentrics of all time uh he was from the uk as you can hear uh and he had this just very oddball kind of style he liked storytelling a lot and it was almost kind of silly but then sort of about crime and stuff in a way hmm. Snoop Dogg, you know, was very influenced by slick Rick. Um, so yeah, this one, this one was, I just want to put on cause I <laughs> going in cold to slick Rick, he's just so different than really any other rapper that ever existed before or after him. And he kind of did these like funny little voices and kind of overdubs and stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, just an oddball. And you know, this album was huge. Great adventures of slick Rick was huge. Um, so I was just curious what your take and this beat actually also became, this is how we do it by Montel Jordan a few years later. Huh. Um, but anyway, let's, this is a children's story. This is kind of one, like a, a classic storytelling song by Slick Rick. All right. <laughs> like all these weird voices he does. <laughs> You kids get to bed. I get the story. Y'all tucked in? Like, this is a really weird song to be a hit, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And then, like, it is, it's about a, you know, a police chase and a shootout and, you know, hostages and stuff. Like, it's a pretty dire story. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's, it's kind of, it's sort of like silly and childish and then sort of dark in a way that he sort of, he had a very weird tone. It's, (laughs) and even some of his lyrics, like, like, this is not time not long ago. And this is like where people wore pajamas and lived life slow. It's like, what a great way to describe the past. <laughs> yeah. 
tried to rob a man who was a DT undercover. The cop grabbed his arm, he started acting erratic. He said, Keep still, boy. No need. Yeah, he does these little, like, kind of overlapping, like, dialogue stuff. Yeah. So what did you think of this? Because I, I had no idea. This It's so... It's just goofy in some ways, but it's brilliant in some yeah, ways to me. I don't know. The theatricality, like the dramatics of it all are are very fun. Uh, it is... Like, he I th- does he pop back into the kid's character later to, like, comment on mm. some of the lyrics that he's just rapped? Yeah, I think so. Like, yeah. they're asking what... I'm looking at the lyric sheet. Um, <laughs> yeah, he actually comments on his own voice by saying, "Oh boy, Uncle Ricky's he's really weird." <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know that self awareness, that like playfulness is. I think you picked a really good slate of songs to represent like what yeah. music was like, what rap and hip hop were like at that time. That like they could be on the like uh, more NWA Public Enemy side of things. You know what you might expect of '80s '90s rap, and they could be this, where it's just very oddball, and yet they yeah. made space for it. On you yo. should you should also look up a picture of Slick Rick because he had a very eccentric okay. kind of. It was really like a Kangol hat. He wore the most amount of gold chains, like so many gold chains, and he also had an eye patch. Oh His eye, I think it was damaged in some way, so he sometimes would have like a diamond oh, that's encrusted. Not a, that's not a theatrical. That's not like a dramatic eye patch. He actually needed that. I think he needed it. I've never seen him without it. Whoa. Oh, my God. I'm seeing pictures of him with some gold chains that look like he's about to buckle under the end of rings. Oh, my God. Okay, this this lines up with what I'm hearing. Yeah, so he just on a number of levels. The way he looked and, like, just was just the, the eye patch and the English. And also yeah. the English accent was so out of nowhere, you know? <laughs> yeah, it is. Like, Moni Love was from UK, but you, you know, her, she had sort of Americanized her accent a little bit. Like, sure. Slick Rick is very, this is like an English accent, you know? He's yeah, he'd wear crowns sometime, like a king's crown. <laughs> his what I like is his eye patch always matches like the style of uh, of, of whatever he's wearing. Like he's got a seafoam green eye patch for a seafoam yep. green button down. It's, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> sick. Sure. I guess it is slick. It's literally yeah. slick. Yeah, and like no, yeah, but nobody wore more gold chains at once than Slick Rick. It, it was is. ridiculous. This is pretty wild. I would encourage you, listener, to check it out. <laughs> Would you call these like novelty acts or was this, was he taken pretty seriously? Oh no, he's, he was taken very seriously. I mean, it's silly in a way, but you know, it's easy to overlook how skilled he is Mm. in a way because like he has a very quick cadence and sort of oddball things where he like breaks into different voices. Like what he does is I think deceptively complex and hard to do. Oh, I'll bet. So no, he was a big, big influence, you know? Like I said, Snoop is a big fan, and Snoop, you know, you can kind of hear a little bit of that, like kind of soft, kind of wiggly kind of thing that Snoop has, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, on a West Coast, you know, variation of that. Um, yeah, but I gotta, oh, um, I gotta say, like, also the piano in that track, the clearly like MIDI, oh like, yeah, early synth piano. I remember, what was it? was it? Damn, when okay. Damn came out, I remember you were talking about one of the tracks from that record and how it uses a very like, uh like 80s 90s throwback style piano and now i can't not think of that every single time that i hear a rap track that uses that tone of like yeah. very fake sounding but very like sort of st- like no dynamics to it it's dirty like almost plunky yep. almost bad you know but like imposing in a way that i don't know it, it's a very distinctive sound that i can't get out of my head when i hear it in tracks like that where it's like mm-hmm. actually of its time rather than a callback or a throwback to the style yeah no that that classic like fm synthesis you know yeah, yeah. kind of sound it's good it's good uh 
Whoa, this next, well, this is a tonal change. Uh, <laughs> this one, uh, this again, this, this is a song that I think, you know, was pretty shocking. I remember when it came out. Um, Ghetto Boys are from Houston. I wanted to kind of represent like what eventually became, you know, Southern hip hop, uh, which has been pretty dominant for a long time. Uh, yeah, Ghetto Boys, this song, My Mind Playing Tricks on Me. Uh, I would say it's, it, it, they're kind of an interesting group in that like they kind of balanced out some sort of like silliness and kind of over the top stuff with like Scarface, who is, you know, rapping about suicide and kind of like almost, you know, I think anxiety induced psychosis of, you know, like being a drug dealer and mm. the paranoia and stuff. Um, but yeah, his verses on this, you know, the first and I think the third verse. Uh, then you have Willie D who talks about, you know, some kind of street stuff. And then Bushwick Bill, who was a, uh, a little person. Uh, and he, uh, you know, kind of raps this kind of almost cartoonishly like violent stuff. Mm. Um, so they were just in something totally different, you know, the very deep Southern accents and, um, just a different vibe. And I mean, you know, I think, I think some of Scarface's verse on here are still pretty chilling to me. Um, and it's, it's a great, you know, it's a great loop. Um, yeah. So anyway, this this had a huge impact, I think, especially establishing that Scarface is one of the great rappers of all time. All right. Here's my mind playing tricks on me by Ghetto Boys. I sit alone in my four-cornered room staring at candles. Well, that shit is on. <laughs> Let me drop some shit like this here. Yeah. At night I can't sleep. I toss and turn candlesticks in the dark. Visions of bodies being burned. Four walls just staring at a nigga I'm paranoid sleeping with my finger on the trigger My mother's always stressing I ain't living right But I ain't going out without a fight See every time my eyes close I start sweating and blood starts coming out my nose It's somebody watching the act But I don't know who it is So I'm watching my... What it, that line, it's somebody watching the act What is act? Oh, he used to be called DJ Action Oh... So yep. somebody's spying on me. Gotcha. Gotcha. And it was just sort of this very like, you know, all the gangster rap of the time was very aggressive and stuff. And this is almost mm. a sort of like the darker side of that lifestyle or, yeah, like, you know, I'm not, like, I'm not on top of it. I'm not winning. No. And he's like, like depressed. Like this is a song yeah. about depression, you know? Um, and just like, I love that. Is that an original? Is that no? I'm sure it's a sample, probably. It's a good sample. I make big money. I drive big cars. Everybody know me. Yeah, and then Willie D was kind of just more traditional. They had very different personalities in this group. Yeah, this verse actually, now that you pointed out, is way more, more, more that braggadocio, ostentatious stuff than the paranoid. Somebody is gonna kill me blood dripping from my nose type that we heard in the first verse I like that he pronounced the word sword as sword yeah he has a very deep you know like <laughs> Houston accent for sure. Oh, I guess this is an Isaac Hayes sample. Ooh. Song called Hung Up on My Baby. Very well utilized here. The just syncopation is. Mm. Yeah. 
day by day it's more impossible to cope. Did it throw in a couple of like 808 snare hits between verses there? Like I think yeah, they they I think they would like you know, sometimes there were samples but they if they felt like the drums didn't hard hit hard enough, they would maybe double them up with drum machine, mm. you know what I mean? I see. Just to give it a little more impact. Yeah, it's this interesting mix of mediums because I usually separate those into two different like approaches to a mm-hmm. beat are like the more organic, the more roomy versus the more digital, the more electronic. Yeah. I got a little boy to look after. And if I die, then my child will be a bastard. I had a woman down with me. But to me, it seemed like she was down to get me. She helped me out in this shit. But to me, she was just another boy. This verse yeah, is him talking about like he's he's essentially estranged the woman he was with, the mother of his child, I think. Yeah. Through this I mean, paranoia. It's extraordinarily grim, you know. Yeah. I think I just need to any rap song that I'm supposed to be listening to critically, I think I just have to have the lyric sheet in front of me. I can't listen to it when I'm driving then. Oh like, really? Okay. Just yeah. paying just paying attention and like getting up to speed and figuring out what the story is being told is like really, really helpful there. For me, that, this is the whitest, dumbest shit I've ever said in my life. But I think, honestly, I do appreciate it a lot more when I can follow along. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I don't know. There's no wrong way to listen to music, you know? I mean, Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> well, if there is, we'll find one. But <laughs> don't, don't worry. Yeah, well, don't worry. <laughs> we'll weed it out. Um, this was a good track. Right. This, yeah, very, yeah, yeah. Very, very stark, but good. All right. Let's uh, finish it up on a more kind of fun note. This is third base. Uh, you know. Probably the the original white rappers, I think, that really kind of crossed, you know, were taken seriously. Um, they'd certainly be like a precursor, you know, precursor to Eminem in that sense where, like, they were white, but they definitely, you know, got a lot of respect. Uh, they were down with, like, Prince Paul. Um, they were on Def Jam. Uh, had, they worked with a lot of great producers like Prince Paul, Sam Sever, Stimulated Dummies. Uh and this is a, a great song, The Gas Face. Um, and I also picked this one because uh, on this song, in in the middle, you'll hear a, I believe, the first appearance uh, at this time, Zev Love X, um, but who would later go on to be known as MF Doom, Ooh. Uh, is is the, the guest verse on here. Um, so this is kind of a historic song in both. That it, this was a big hit at the time. I, I think this is like just, I love this kind of like, gospel like kind of little richard piano loop on this um and then yeah that's just uh i believe the first appearance by mf doom on a record sick all right Back when he was in kmd here's then the gas face by third base hey, yeah just look at really good oh shit don newcart just died like last week rest in peace the guy with the kind of like you know game show host voice oh Bummer. Sweat. 
gas face giving. I beg to differ. Pete, that was real tough, man, but I gotta get serious now. Hey, yo, Don, step to him again. Everybody, MC Search. Black cat is bad luck. Bad guys wear black. Must have been a white guy who started all that. Make the gas face. But old little white lies. What am, what am I... What am I supposed to take away from the phrase gas face? Um, I think it was just like this thing that like a dumb thing that used to just like kind of like screwing up your face just if somebody said something dumb. You know, mm-hmm. it was just like a, a, I think it feels like an inside joke. They got turned into a hook, basically. Okay. The original like, reaction image. Them sure. Hanging out. You know what I mean? Uh huh. Face. So yeah, here's uh, Zeb Love X, aka MF Doom, and this is a great verse. I mean, right away he's just like gripping. Whoa, I I don't know that I would have recognized that. We did a whole episode about MF Doom after he passed uh, a couple years ago. Um, with Serial Vasquez, I don't think I would have pulled out that this was that this was him. Yeah, his voice was much kind of grittier when it came. You know, he disappeared for a few years, mm. and then yeah, his voice definitely changed over that time. Oh shit! There it is. But yeah, no, his, his voice changed. I mean, there's. Once you know it's him, I think you can kind of hear similarities to later mm-hmm. stuff he did. But yeah, I I don't blame people for not noticing that right yeah. off. And he kind of changed his cadence and the way he rapped when he came back as yeah, well. Yeah, this was much more like, I guess a lot of the distinctive MF Doom thing for me is the way that he raps rather than like the tone of his voice. But both mm-hmm. are pretty essential. Yeah. Huh. Oh. That's, they just diss MC Hammer there and that. Ooh. Apparently led them to almost being assassinated in LA by gang what? members. Yeah. Holy That's at shit. least what Search claims, yeah. And somebody stepped in and like squashed it with Hammer. Hmm. Hammer was like I guess, you know, kind of like behind the scenes, was like a really feared kind of dude. He just had super connections to like street guys and a lot of money. Um but yeah, he didn't like that at all. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently like there was guys that were gonna shoot up third base on an LA tour. For the gas face, huh? Yeah. No fucking around. Yeah. So this is kind of just, I thought, a fun kind of goofy song yeah, to kind of capture was, some of that, that spirit. Um, anyway, just a trip down memory lane to the old days of rap. Um, but yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed it. Like I said, I, I think that, you know, Yo! MTV Raps doesn't get enough credit as a cultural sort of institution at mm-hmm. that time. Um, and, uh, you know, I think you can hear roots of, of stuff still today in some of this stuff, even though rap has really evolved in a lot of different ways. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I I, I, uh, I hope people found it interesting and, and got something out of it. For sure. I hope so, too. Um, Matt, actually, I, I'm going to spring this on you. Is it okay if I choose the outro song for this episode? Let's do it. What do you uh, want to hear? I have chosen uh, It Was a Good Day by Ice Cube because uh, nice. he actually directly references Yo MTV, Rap, excuse me, Yo MTV Raps in this when he goes back to Short Dog's house. They're watching Yo MTV raps before they start playing craps. So nice. This is a, it's an incredible, like this uh, sample gets stuck in my head all the goddamn time. It's so good. Um, but yeah, give us the out and I can play it as we're going out.
Yeah, thanks for listening to Crossfade. Uh, you can support us uh, in MinMax uh, at patreon.com slash M-I-N-N-M-A-X, MinMax. Uh, they do a lot of great video game content. We encourage you to check out podcasts, playthroughs, streaming, all kinds of stuff. Um, and uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks. We appreciate it. And let's uh, let's hear another hip-hop classic. Today was a good day by Ice Cube. This is uh, probably towards the end of the MTV Raps era. But uh, again, I love this song. So that's a good pick.
Stop this shit. What the fuck I'm thinking about?